You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Stateside Podcast. My name is Dave Roscoe. I'm your host today, and I'm here with Rachel Gutman, a music and entertainment attorney, moonlights as many things, notably artist development, having 18 dogs, just being the most likable person in Nashville. And yeah, so we're going to get into it. How you doing, Rachel? I'm doing so good, David. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate your time. Totally. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know about about you and who you are and what you do, so I guess anyone who doesn't live in Nashville, because I'm pretty sure everyone in this town does, but um, what can you give a quick like elevator pitch on who you are, what you do, and how you got there? Of course I can. Um, so I am a music and entertainment attorney, as we said. I have been in practice for almost 11 years, um, both between Louisiana and Tennessee. Um, I have spent most of my career involved in the music and entertainment industry. However, I've also practiced in the area of litigation defense, where I previously tried cases for major corporations, insurance companies, and public bodies throughout Louisiana. And in 2018, I went back to Nashville. I had started my my, uh, young life there at 18 and undergrad at Middle Tennessee State University. And I went back in 2018 to practice entertainment law full time. And my law partner, uh, her name's Stephanie Taylor, she was actually one of my undergraduate professors at Middle Tennessee State University. And we became friends and now we share a law firm. And we have a very active practice of artists, writers, producers, and entertainment and music industry entrepreneurs. Um, So what we do is we work with our clients to help them do good business in this really tricky industry. And we think through more than just the paperwork. We think through who the people are and what they need in their lives and careers to create growth and success and more opportunity and not just to dead end them in one deal with an advance. Um, and so it's a very uh, big picture mindset and it's a very um, build out mindset from the ground up, whether we're working with a developing artist, an established artist or a legacy or even a state of an artist. Um, and so we do all of those different levels in different ways and we always think it through for each client individually. Sweet. Awesome. So so what was the thing that, that made you flip that switch in 2018 that's like, damn, I need to get back to Nashville and do the music thing? Was it was it a, a getting tired with the litigation stuff or was it more just really wanting to have that passion and work in music? It was a combination of factors. So I ended up um, after undergrad at Middle Tennessee State University, I went to law school. And it was during the 2008 recession. And I ended up going to Tulane Law School in New Orleans. And when I graduated from there in 2012, I had an amazing opportunity to work as a judicial law clerk on a one-year term for a federal judge in Louisiana. And after that clerkship, um, my husband and I, my husband is also in this industry as a songwriter and recording and mix engineer, we were debating whether to stay in New Orleans um, or go back to Nashville. And my husband got this amazing opportunity um, to run a custom built recording studio in New Orleans and work on some really high level projects. And so I decided at that point in time in 2013 to have a stay in New Orleans so he could work at this once in a lifetime facility. And what happened was in 2018, a combination of factors occurred. The company I was working for um, was not valuing me as a person or a human being. There was a lot of uh, things going on that were quite disturbing. I'll just say that. My husband's studio that he was working at went on the market for sale. 
I really was, you know, looking at what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. In that time period, I had a moment where I had my first, and, and this should say a lot, I was 31 years old. I had my first panic attack and it was because I was overworked and uh, underappreciated among other things. I realized in that moment, I thought I was having a heart attack because for women, a panic attack and a heart attack feel the same. And so what I did was I, at that moment, decided, well, I'm not going to die in my law firm because these people suck. So I got up from my office and went home to die with my husband and my five dogs. I'm serious. This is all a true story. I, uh, when I went to do that, I went home, took a nap, woke up and said, okay, this is a problem. This is not what life is about. And so in that moment, I really thought about what I wanted to do with my life and what I was driven to do. And what I realized was that I was driven to help creative people with their businesses. At the time, I didn't know what I could do in artist development. I wasn't, I wasn't even a figment of my imagination at that point. It was just, how do I help creative people? This is where I'm supposed to be. And so I, I quit my litigation defense job. And I moved to Nashville um, in June of 2018, moved back with no guaranteed salary. I owned a house in New Orleans. I had a husband and five dogs, still do, um, and was the breadwinner and am the breadwinner for my family. And within uh, six months, I was an employee um, and had a salary. And a year later, I had the title of partner. And then a year after that, my law partner put my name on the firm and just surprised me with it. Um, and so it's a testament to long re long-term relationships, which are so critical in this industry, and hard work and understanding the kind of work that you have to put in to really succeed. Um, but truly, what I do in this business, it's my heart. It's, uh, you know, when somebody has that kind of moment when you think that, you know, your life is ending or you think that something serious is happening to you, you really reflect on who you are and why you do what you do. And for me, that reflection point was wanting to help creative people my way. And so that is why I, I am part of a small law firm. That is why I, you know, am very much more uh, personally invested in my clients. And we'll get into some of what I do in that area, because I know you're familiar with that, David. Mm -hmm. um, but more than that, um, that's why my law practice is structured the way it is. It's because this was my dream to help creative people. And I do this from a place of love and from a place of healing my pain and helping other people not experience those painful moments. Um, and so that that is the core of what I do. It's a very human perspective of being an attorney. It's not the norm, but it's my norm and it's my path. And I'm very glad to have it. Hell yeah. And there's, there's a good reason why you have the reputation that you have is because you treat people like human beings. It's, it's sad that that's, that that's a, Re relatively rare occurrence in this, you know, your sector of the industry, but the truth is that it is. And yeah, I'm just, I'm very grateful to have you in, in my network. I, I mean, there is so much, so much that I wouldn't know, whether that's information or people, if I hadn't come across you. And honestly, the only reason I came across you is because I was in a very similar situation to you in your law firm where I wasn't getting treated like a human. And uh, a mutual friend of ours was was working with you and, and just talked about how amazing you made them feel through that whole process. And I was like, huh, okay, well, if, if that person trusts Rachel, then maybe Rachel should be my friend too. And here we are, three and a half years later, something like that. I was going to say, it's, it's been a few years. And, and you know what it is too, David, I want to I wanna just address this as an attorney up front, because a lot of people in my profession forget what the core purpose of what an attorney's job is. And I was taught this as a, as a law student by a mentor of mine who sadly passed in 2017. And this message she shared with me back in 2011 really changed my perspective of what my position is for my clients and has influenced my entire career. And that is that attorneys are service providers. We provide a service for our clients. Our job is to tell our clients the truth, as painful as that might be sometimes. Our job is to go in and be honest with our clients about what we're seeing and what our concerns are. And some people call that being negative. I call that doing my job and providing a good service for my clients. But I say that because a lot of attorneys 
And a lot of people in professional, you know, jobs, whether it's doctors, lawyers, all these, you know, licensed jobs, they act like they are the focus. You know, I'm the big name. I'm the doctor. I'm the lawyer. I'm this. I've seen, I see this all the time. I've worked at so many firms. I know all these things. And the trick is none of us matter. Our job is to be behind the scenes, to take care of our clients, to look out for them, to work in their best interest, to say the things that they don't want to hear, but they need to hear that somebody who actually cares about them will say that nobody else will say. And so that is what I do. I'm a service provider. And I take that role very seriously because this job is not about me. It's about my clients at the end of the day, every day. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, something that I, I see a lot of parallels with with what what me and James at Stateside do with that, which is like something that we say when we're talking to prospective clients or people that we're looking at for A&R all the time is the truth of the matter is you, whoever you are, ex-producer, you don't need a manager. I, I think there's an argument to be made that you probably do need a lawyer, especially at a certain point in your career. I agree. But yeah, I mean, and I, I frequently say to people, the first member of your team should be an attorney. Like it, it just, it absolutely should be. But yeah, like you can achieve all of your dreams on your own if you want to, but then you might not have someone to tell you the hard truths and maybe you don't have the experience and expertise to recognize those truths on your own, especially if you're just looking through the lens of this is just my thing and I do it day in and day out and I live in this world. It, it, you can get really caught up in the the everyday churn of that. And yeah, I, I see a lot, of, um, a lot of similarities in a lot of ways, except like I said, I think maybe your profession is a little more necessary. <laughs> um, but let's be honest, though. I, I get where all of the professions in this business can be necessary because mm -hmm. it's one thing like when I'm when I'm dealing with like a young developing client, they're brand new in this. They're just, like they're doing their first producer agreements or they're doing their first guest artist agreements. Like I love going through it with them hand in hand, teaching them the terms, putting tools in their toolbox and equipping them with information. But there comes a point um, where our creative clients get so busy that while they, and, and this happens to me a lot with my development projects where they, we, we get on the phone, we chat all the time, but they're so busy. They need to talk to their manager and that's it. And maybe call me every so often if they just want to catch up, but totally. genuinely, you know, there comes a point where for them to manage this business themselves is in itself the full-time job. And so I do a lot of work with my clients on how we can delegate the workload, how we can work together to get to build a functioning team, how your team can function in your best interest, and even just bringing in team members um, and making introductions to help my clients facilitate that. You know, for example, David, you recently have taken on a client who is a dear, dear friend of mine who needed that support because he knows he can call me anytime he wants. But the fact is, is that he needed organizational support. Yeah. And I think that's going to change the game on that career at a big level. And I'm the biggest fan out there. I think everybody knows that. That's the whole point of what each of us do is we each provide a special service to facilitate our clients' careers. And our client's job is to direct us, to tell us what they want. And sometimes they're going to listen to us and sometimes they're not. And all we can do is give them our experience and our knowledge and our information, give them the best information possible and let them make informed decisions. Totally. Yeah. I say all the time is like, I, I am not telling you what to do. I am giving you my opinion. Do with that what you will. But I really think you should do this. Um, and, and sometimes I would say most of the time, especially if they're my clients, my advice is taken. But, you know, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it works out fine. That's just how it is. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about him a little more specifically, because we definitely we definitely can. It's it's public knowledge at this point. The person you were talking about was Andrew J. Gomez, and I am so stoked to have him on the roster. It's um, I'm also just a massive fan of his and what what he's doing. He's probably going to be the next person I record an episode with. 
Well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, he's one of the, he's a musical genius. Um, he would be so embarrassed to hear me say this, but he's going to now. Um, but he really is a musical genius. But more than that, um, you know, I, I work with a lot of great talent, but the thing about Andrew and really the people who I consider my true friends in this business and, and who I keep close to me on a personal level, they're real people. And they do the right thing, regardless of what, let, let's just be very transparent, regardless of what the law says, regardless of what the contracts say, they do the right thing as humans. And that is what I look for in people I work with and in people that I support and in people who I consider my true friends. And that is how I do this, um, is I look for people who want to do for others and not take from others. And Andrew Gomez is a man who does for others every time. And that is why I have so much love and respect for him. Absolutely. He's another one of those people who is just has an, I can't think of the word right now. I want to say impenetrable, but that's not the word I'm looking for. But like a, a just perfect reputation in this town. Like everybody loves him. Um, every like and not not just because like, oh, my God, he's so good at producing, which he is. He's fen a phenomenal producer by by all means. But people love him as a person and a friend, which especially in this town goes so so much further than skill I know. <laughs> it's just I know. It's, it's unbelievable and you know in 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 some ways it makes the moody belmont kid that still lives in my brain <laughs> a little a little sad that that's the case but at the end of the day like it is just it's so it's it's great that that's the situation and that's how it is in this town and LA and New York, take notes, please. Um, but well, let me address that though, because there's 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 something I do. So I do a lot of business in LA, a mm -hmm. lot of business in LA, and and a lot of people in LA have brought me in to do things more of how I expect them to be done. That is, as a service provider who does the right thing for my clients, not just taking from them. And it's very much, you know, there are circles of people I'm finding in these markets in New York and LA. It's not a lot. It's a limited number. And I'm seeing people in Nashville who are playing the LA New York game, not my favorite. But there's a way that we can create as a community in a collaborative manner where we can bring each other up. And that is really a core of what I do in the development space. I tell everyone, we got to take care of each other. We're all starting from the same place. And even if somebody's had one viral song or a pub deal or whatever, we're all on the same playing field. And we've got to treat each other with respect and kindness because tomorrow it could be your buddy over there who's popping off. And so we have to take care of each other and facilitate those relationships. And, and that's the long-term relationship person in me who has known my law partner half my life and who has been with my husband for over 15 years. Um, it's very much a, you know, how do we help people grow? And Absolutely. so I think that's, yeah. And I think that's what's coming out of Nashville. I think we're bringing a lot of that into LA. I'm seeing a lot of that go to LA. Seeing um, a lot of people in LA are seeking people like what I, doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm getting a lot of calls out of LA. Um, is because I think people are seeing that there is a different business model for attorneys out there that can do the documents for them just like everyone else. And then also think about who they fit with for rights, who they fit with for collabs, where there might be opportunities, whether it's, you know, you're in LA, come for a week in Nashville, let me put you in some rooms, you know, which is something I'm doing right now for clients of mine out there. And it's very fun and unique for me. Okay. Um, and it's, and it's just me kind of, you know, saying to them, what do you like? Let me throw you in some, or even clients in LA who I'm picking up are saying to me, um, I, you know, I, I've been in the business for 15 years or more. I, you know, I'm pretty famous, but I don't want to just be a legacy artist. How do I get new music? And so I put them in my rights as well. Um, and so I do a lot of that for fun. Um, even though I'm, supposed to just be an attorney. Um, that's my my fake publisher, fake A&R side. I, I just hear what I hear. And uh, if I feel like the personalities will mesh, I like to put people together to help them create uh, positive creative and personal relationships. Totally. And also, I don't think this is something that you, you might not directly say this about yourself, but you're also very good at it. Um, like, for example, I can think of I can think of one person in particular who you introduced me to, and you just said, "Hey, y'all should y'all should know each other." And you know, I'm not super close with him, 
but every time we talk, it's like, it just, our personalities are so, they mesh so perfectly, and it's like, just, there's no, there's no weird small talk, it's just immediately into like, just, just great connection with this, this guy who really, you had no reason or need to introduce us, you were just like, you guys should be friends. And now we're friends, and it's great. And there's been, I mean, a lot of co-writes between our rosters since that that has just been amazing. Um, this is Mike, by the way. Oh, yeah. Well, see, and that's, and that's the cool thing, though, is is that I, I'm i one of those where I look at, you know, your roster. I learn your roster. Like, if you're mm-hmm. a friend of mine, I just kind of learn what you do. And, uh, and I do this with everyone. Everyone who meets me, I kind of look in, I get a grip on the roster, and I get a grip on, like, who they're working with. And then I chat with them just for a few minutes. I figure out like what their strategy is. I can usually pinpoint how someone works this business by talking to them about how I develop people. And I actually just did one of these before this, uh, before this podcast recording was uh, I had a call with a a manager in LA for a very long-term client of mine who I care about very deeply as a person. And, uh, you know, was able to figure out that the way that we develop uh, creatives is, very similar, if not identical. Um, Of course, every time people meet me and realize that I don't just do paperwork, they're always floored at first. And then I walk them through my (laughs) development process. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, what, what is going on? Um, But it's, it's very much, how do I, you know, think through what can benefit my clients? Because I truly, everyone I rep, I truly care about them as humans. Um, And I, and it's, it's not, you know, how do we get the next big viral hit? Because honestly, none of that matters, even though I'm known for doing viral hits off TikTok. None of that matters. All that matters is a fan base. You know, the people who want to see you, the people who would be your friends if you were not a public figure. Um, And I will warn you, David, I'm going to go into all my favorite quotes throughout this, things that I say to all my creatives. (laughs) I love it. Because I, well, I love sharing this knowledge. I think it's at at the core of it. It's all just very basic information that I think people who are creatives, you know, we, we, you know, I, I'm a creative in my soul to the point where I understand music and we all have these uncertainties and insecurities and fears. And so I give this information freely because I want people to understand that all you have to do, and I make it sound so easy. I know, please know it's not this easy. All you have to do is make friends with people who want to hear your music your fans are people who would be your friends if you weren't a public figure. So you want to think about who you're connecting with through your creations and how you're connecting with those people and the story that you're telling with your songs. And so it's, it's very much, you know, I hear a lot of people in this business say, well, I'll just put you with these writers. We'll tailor these songs and none of that works. None of that works. I don't care what anyone says. There has to be a real piece of you in those songs, whether you're co-writing them, whether they reflect a moment in your life and you're not co-writing them, whether the, you know, the production choices and how you perform them, you know, and the, like a lot of vocalists, for example, are really great about how they express, you know, their vocal performance. Beyonce is a wonderful example of someone who does her own vocal production in a insane way and just understands her voice in a beautiful manner. Um, Another one less known who understands his voice, John Harvey, um, who I know you know oh, well yeah. through me, David and Andrew. Um, John is a has a deep understanding of his vocal range, his vocal capabilities, what he can express with that voice, and where he can take it. Um, and so, even in, with someone like him, when I first started working with him, the commentary I had to him was, "Can you write a song? Because I'd love to make you more money to write your own songs." But if you can't, I know you can sing. So I'll just get you songs. Like if that, you know, if that's what happens. And it turned out he could write. It turned out he's like a rock Mozart to me, to be honest with you. I don't, I mean, that's truly how I feel about him. I think John Harvey's, he's a genius. Him and him and Andrew together. I love them together. Like they are geniuses and they have such an understanding of the musicality that both of them bring to the table. And when I started working with John in, in January of 2021, I didn't know if the guy could write a song. I mean, the demos he sent me were not of the quality I expect. And so I just asked a couple of people to take chances on him to do co-writes. I said, listen to this voice. The songs aren't there, but maybe something will work. 
And a writer named Spencer Jordan was the first to trust me because Spencer Jordan is amazing. Mm -hmm. And Spencer is friends with Andrew. Um, And, uh, and that is how um, a song called, well, it was Spencer writing with John posting an Instagram story about it. And then a writer named Danny Hildago seeing the story and reaching out to Spencer and going, Spencer, I've been trying to get in touch with this John guy. I love his voice. Let's get a write with you, me, Andrew, and John. And that co-write was John's fourth co-write of his life. And that was a song called Bleach on the Rocks that went very viral and launched his entire career. And that was because Spencer Jordan trusted me. And then people around him trusted him. It was a relationship of trust and confidence and kindness that we did there. And it worked very well. Totally. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier with just do things with your friends and trust that you all have everyone the greater good in mind and great things will happen. That's a direct example of that. Yeah. I mean, do right by each other. You know, there's no need. You know, sometimes I see these situations and I'll I'll share kind of a counter to it where I go into these situations with developing artists and a producer will come in and they'll go, well, I need, um, you know, $10,000 up front and, you know, 50% of royalties until I get another 10,000 because I normally make 20 and I'm like, you don't make 20. Nobody knows your name. Like that kind of stuff is yucky. And, and by the way, these are, these are based on true stories. So take that for what you Mm -hmm. will. Um, I find that stuff to be gross. And I tell people, I'm like, look, when money's coming in, we can find ways to take care of your people. That's not a problem. If there's real money, not just advances, but real money coming in, I can, I will do what you want me to do to take care of your people. But until we have real money, what are we doing? Like, that's not, that's not right to you because you have to launch this career. And for an artist, the investment to build the career, I mean, just thinking about a basic live rig and in-ears alone, the investment for that can be a nightmare. But even the cost of, you know, even for guys, like wardrobe, style, you know, um, I mean, hair, it sounds silly, but, you know, everyone had a mullet for a long time. And now even Morgan Wallen's shaving his head. So we have to be thoughtful about, like, what our clients invest and what, you know, the investment looks like and how we support one another in that investment. And so I do a lot of work there because I help people understand like, okay, you might not be getting 10,000 on a producer advance. Maybe you're getting five, but if you're getting five and we are able to launch a career off of it, then that's consistent producer advances through a record deal going forward. That's consistent fans. That's consistent listeners and consistent royalty streams. And that's going to build you more then an extra chunk of $10,000 is going to. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think there's, with this specific example, I think there's, especially for, because there are, you know, young producers certainly listening to this who may think like that. There's there's two main takeaways there. One, $10,000 will never change anyone's life. It's just simply not enough money to change your life. You will just spend it on dumb shit or you'll pay off your credit card debt and then you don't have credit card debt, but what happens in a year when you have credit card debt again? And two, especially if you're a young producer, don't worry about making all the money today. Go do a shitload of spec work with artists that you really believe in and help them win and you will grow with them and you will create an actually sustainable career not just a couple, you know, living gig to gig, which is no one wants that. <laughs> no. And and more than that, I will also say this, like my philosophy in this business, and, and this is someone, you know, I, I want to be very clear on this podcast. I started connecting with and dealing with people in this business when I was 18. And I may mm. have been at Middle Tennessee State. But again, my law partner was my professor back then. So from when I'm 18 years old, I, and I'm, I don't, I'm not shame, ashamed of my age. I'm 36 now. I've known my law partner half my life. I've known her longer than like most people in my life. And to take a relationship from being a brand new adult on their own for the first time, um, student and professor and turn it into this, it's not normal, but it comes from a place of not being fixated on, you know, just getting, you know, money today or paid today or results today or whatever today. It was always for me, in this industry about the relationships. 
And I've always put the relationships before. Now, let me be clear. My clients always come first. Okay. Relationship or client, clients come in first. I don't care. It's all love. Give you a hug. Got to put my client first. It's just good business. Yeah. Well, it's good business. And also, let's be real. Everyone who works with me knows you're my client. You're my priority. Screw me. Screw, you know, like, like seriously, like I'll throw myself under a bus any day of the week for my clients because Absolutely. my job is to do right by them. I don't care what anyone thinks of me, but my clients It is all love with my friends. I am not here to dog them. Everyone who knows me knows, but my business and my clients got to come first. That's my duty. That's my loyalty, both professionally and to be very blunt personally. I, uh, I take my job very seriously, but when you go into these situations, you have to understand you have to grow together and you have to look at everyone's situation for what it is. And there's a lot of young people in this industry who come from family money these days, which it helps with funding a lot. But the struggle I'm having and the challenge I'm seeing is how do we help our less privileged creatives succeed? And that for me is such a challenge. And I, and I do a lot of work in that space because it's so important to me. Because while I've, and I'm very transparent about this as well, well, I've had a lovely life and my mom is my hero and is a, you know, technology executive and has done a lot herself. She did not come from privilege. And she, um, when she was a, a teenager, she joined the Air Force and they put her through college. And that is how she is where she is today. And so I spend a lot of my time thinking to myself, regardless of the money, how do we get the talent to go through? And that is a massive challenge, especially when we're dealing with producers who are looking for big paydays up front. And I tell people, I'm like, guys, if I and, I, and I do this with Andrew a lot too, and I'm sure he's told you about this, David. I do this a lot where I go, Andrew, I'm not making money on this. Can you hold two? And I literally will go sure. in on things and I'll tell him, I don't need to get paid on this. Can you hold off with me or can you do back end with me on this and just let it and let it roll? Because I want these people to succeed. I want this talent to get out in the world. And the only way that I can do so is by just facilitating good business for them to get the career off the ground. That's what I do a lot um, because I don't believe that creating art should be based on your financial means. I think creating art should be based on your talent and your ability to connect with others through your art. Absolutely. And I think there is something that needs to be said here, which is everything you just said, while it is absolutely correct, is a lot easier said than done. The Your ability to do that is very much due to a lot of really great, super talented people trusting you. And it's also due to some privilege. I'm not going to sit here and lie. And that's part sure. of it is that I have a bit because I my first years of my career, I did litigation defense. I saved up a lot of money. And so I have this cushion and this ability to kind of have that flexibility. Um, right. And I gave myself and my clients a, a gift in that way. And that's a gift that I don't intend to uh, lose any time in my life. Um, it's something I've set up um, so that I can do this career the way I want to in the long term. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think it just it all comes back to just be a decent person is the core of this whole conversation, which should go without saying, but sadly it has to be said sometimes. <laughs> but hey, that's fine. Well, but, but we work we work in an industry, let's just be honest, so the music and entertainment industry at its core, I mean, we if we really want to go back and look at the history of this business, and I and I'm not gonna get too deep into it, but I'm I'm a nerd, so I you know, I I love school and I love learning stuff and I read a lot. You know, the the core of this business, the entertainment industry you know, radio back in the day, there was a lot of mafia involved. And we're not mm -hmm. going to talk about current day. We're just going to talk about like historically now. Sure. But I'm telling you guys all that because I, I want to be very clear about this. This industry has always had its seedy underbelly. This industry has always had its questionable practices. This industry, there's nothing secret about that. Anyone who wants to tell me that that's not known, open your eyes. Yeah. That's how this works. But I do this because I want to do the right thing for people. And I understand that's not the norm of why people go into this industry. But for me, it is because I met my husband in undergrad. We were 20 when we met, 21 when we started dating. And when we were young, he, as a young um, recording and mix engineer, got offered a number of contracts at recording studios that were uh, bad, is how I'm going to put it. Bad is, is a very simple way to say what I want to say <laughs> about those deals. 
Um, and I remember, and I talk about this a lot with people. I remember when we were, when my husband and I, we were still dating. We had just moved in together. Uh, we were 23, I think at the time, 23. We had just moved to New Orleans together. We had a little apartment, whole little hole in the wall. It was awful. Um, and um, he comes home. Um, one day and he goes, Hey, this recording studio wants to hire me. They gave me this contract and he hands it to me. I'm not even an attorney at this point. It was awful. I, I, it was written cause this is like 2010. So mm -hmm. I'm like redlining it with my red pen. And then I remember after I redlined it, I just drew a big red X through it. <laughs> and it was because I couldn't let him sign it. And that's what I do with all my clients now. I, uh, it's just straight up, like, what did I do for my husband? And that ended up getting him a, a killer career where he worked on multiple Grammy winning and nominated projects at all sorts of levels that still blow my mind to this day. And then how do I do that for other people? Um, and that's, that's truly what a lot of this is though. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it should be simple. It should be common sense. Um, but a lot of this business is based on, uh, greed and uh and pride and ego and um sometimes behavior that doesn't fly for a lot of us and Absolutely. so we just have to look yeah and so we just have to look at it to do it our way um and you can and that's the thing to really reinforce to people listening here you can do this business your way you do not have to be bought and paid for you do not have to give in to you know bad standards that aren't fair or reasonable you can create with with what streaming does today you can build your own career you can build a seven-figure business in this industry without signing a single major label deal you can completely do it yourself i know you can because i work people like that but the trick is is that to do that sustainably you have to be connecting with fans and you have to be building good relationships, both with fans and creatives. And I say creatives, it's also really industry, but it's all about really facilitating that relationship piece. And so I, I just encourage people listening to really think about if, if, if you're being told like to get in the music industry, you have to do X, Y, and Z, and it feels yucky to you. The answer is you probably don't. And the answer is you can probably do this your way, just like I've done this my way. Just like I know, David, you've done this your way and, a lot, and everyone around you has too. And that's the most important thing about this is to know that you are not beholden to this system. We do not need radio to succeed. We do not need, I mean, we literally, what we need right now is great songs. Absolutely. 100%. And another thing with all of this is, I don't think people think about this very often, but in the grand scheme of industry as a whole, and I know that's very broad, but stick with me. Um, in, in the grand scheme of, you know, industry as a whole and American industry, the music industry is very young. As a as a commercial thing, like the music industry has really only been in, in its present state since maybe the late 50s, but I would argue closer to the early 60s. I was going to say probably about the 60s, like Woodstock's really the vibe. Yeah. Because because 50s were more like covers, like, like, you know, even, you know, covers of like different songs that were named totally. different, I mean, yeah. genres that I'm not going to get into that because I, I don't agree with the racial division that was going on back then or that still goes on to this day in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, we should be a, we should be a melting pot of love and, creati and creativity, but that's just me. But I think it's very much like the music industry recorded music, recordings of music really go back to you know records you know that's it it's late yeah. 1800s early 1900s and sound recordings uh, if you want i'm going to get a little legal on here for all of you on this podcast sound recordings were not even recognized under federal copyright law which is the governing law for you know both musical compositions and sound recordings that is in a song there's always two copyrights the underlying composition and the sound recording copyright. Sound recordings were not recognized under federal law until February 15th of 1972. Now let's be very transparent here, everyone. If sound recordings didn't actually exist before 1972, the Beatles would not be um, the <laughs> legends they are today. So I acknowledge this because I wanna be very clear. The law, um, especially in, in music and entertainment, and you're seeing this right now with AI, the mm -hmm. law does not keep up with technology. 
I mean, the Copyright Act, for example, in the U.S., the last major revision was the 1976 Copyright Act, which went into effect January 1st of 1978. Before that, the last major revision was 1909. Um, and so, you know, I think we're, I'll just say this, I think we're due for more. But I think the problem is, is technology is moving so fast at this rate, you know. I mean, it's gone from, I mean, I remember, I remember when I was in undergrad, I started in fall 2005, iPhones didn't even exist. I remember when I was in undergrad, I got myself, this will tell you all how, how weird I am. I uh, convinced my parents to buy me a Blackberry so I could learn to email efficiently uh, <laughs> to prepare for my career. This is why you get texts and emails from me at all, uh, at all hours, David. Now you know my trick. I taught myself as a kid how to email. Uh, and people used to tease me for emailing on my phone in the mid 2000s. <laughs> and I used to get so much crap about it. And now I'm like, connected and like, pro at it. So I don't recommend that to anyone, by the way, live your life, have fun, balance, balance is key as the woman who does not do it. Um, but I, hey, this is good disclaimers. They need to hear this. Absolutely. I, yeah. Cause, cause I encourage health and balance and I am, I am great at encouraging things that I don't do. I know that about myself, but more than that, I do that because um, I don't believe that people should have to give up their life to win in this. I mean, I'm married. I've been with my husband for, for, you know, over 15 years, married for over a decade. I have five dogs. Um, yeah, I, I, I work more than I should, but you know what else? I love what I do and it fills my soul, but I found that place where I'm able to have my personal life as well. And so I always encourage people to make sure they find that balance point for themselves because totally. this, this life and this business, it's a marathon. And it's a journey and we have to embrace all the bumps and ups and downs in that journey, whatever that may be. And we have to use those learning experiences to make ourselves better. Um, but yeah, that's just, that's just me. <laughs> Absolutely. I love one of my favorite things about you, Rachel, is you'll like go on this profound soliloquy, if you will. And then at the end, you'll just go, that's just me. Uh, <laughs> I just I love that so much. Like you're, it's not like you're not just like blowing people's minds right now, and then just oh, whatever. Well, it's just it's, it comes from a place of love, um, and it comes from a place of, it, it, and also a lot of what I do, it's truly it's it's uh, healing my inner child is a lot of what this is too. So it's just there's a lot of uh, thought process and and how I can help people. So, but also I know when you're young in this business, there's so much drive to kind of push this stuff and, and, you know, think through all this stuff. And I just want people to understand, like, you don't have to be successful at 20 or 18 or 16. In fact, the people who are and were, there are so many nuances to how they got there. A lot of it's pretty painful. If you guys want my honest statement about that, you need to find what's right for you and what allows you to live your best life in the most balanced and healthy manner possible. Um, and so that's what I really encourage for everyone listening here is to find that place. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, you mentioned about the law is not up to speed with technology. Um, another thing to talk to those same young people, education is also not up to speed and never will be up to speed with technology. Um, it was my I could have a whole podcast about my issues with my education and music business, but I'll save that for another day. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if you have an idea and you're young and there's no precedent for how it's done and you're not, you know, this, assuming that you're not taking advantage of people and you're being a good person, that should be the baseline. But if that's the case, like what's stopping you from just trying it just because someone else didn't do it doesn't mean you can't. And I mean, that's taking those risks is there will be a massive shakeup in this industry and in the way that especially artists find income in the next five years. It's like it's inevitable. It has to happen. There's there's no way around it. So if you have an idea for how that can happen, go make it happen or try at least. Worst case scenario, you're still fucking 19 and you have your whole life ahead of you and you can do whatever you want. Well, and, and truly, even, you know, I want to say this too, like, even for people who are, you know, older, you know, if you're in your 20s, or your 30s, or your 40s, like, please understand something like, first of all, music, you know, 
in, in a lot of people's heads, music is a young person's game. And I will say sonically and in terms of, you know, who has the time to really embrace and listen, it's a lot of young people. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's not. But I will also say this is that you can create at any age to connect with others. And a lot of what I do, I'm an older millennial. Um, you know, I always joke with people like I'm I'm that older millennial, like all those early 2000 songs that everyone keeps bopping <laughs> to. That's like my bread and butter growing up. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's very much I do a lot of work with Gen Z and I do a lot of studying of what Gen Z looks for, what Gen Z wants in people, what makes Gen Z feel safe. Um, but more than that, what they really want to see from their art and as an older millennial, I was brought up in the age of, um, you know, Celine Dion, Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, you know, we'll, we'll just say Whitney when she was more put together is how we'll put it out of sure. respect. May she rest yeah. in peace because she was and is a legend. Absolute but, legend for sure. Yeah. I mean, vocally, just one of the greatest voices in history. I, I wish people had helped her more, but that's a whole other story. But I, which is part of what I do with my clients because I, I don't want my clients to become and, you know, be part of those situations. But, you know, it's very much when I was growing up, artists were, you know, they were polished, they had their clean choreography, their perfect styling, the dyed hair and all this stuff. And now I hear all the time, um, hey, your your artist needs to look a little more homeless. These are true statements, by the way, that I've gotten. And first of all, I do not think we should be glorifying homelessness, because that yeah. is a insecure position. I'm not here for that. Um, you know, I'm here to here to glorify mental stability and health and wellness and, you know, all those, those good things. But more than that, I think what it really comes down to is it's not about a fashion statement. It's about being real and not putting on a facade and not putting on a mask and not hiding who you are and not, you know, giving this perfect image and then behind the scenes being just as much of a mess as everyone else. This is very much from a perspective and thought process of, you know, when I see Gen Z, it's how do we do the right thing to communicate with them? How do we help them see that this pandemic we've been through, that these different changes in their lives that have occurred, they're not going to be world ending and we can make all of this work for their future. Um, and so I do a lot of that work as well. Hell yeah. Sweet. Well, that feels like a pretty natural transition to something that we sort of ask everyone at the at the end of the show as we're as we're wrapping up here and that is sort of it's it's a two-pronged question how have you seen things change in the industry in the time that that you've been a part of it and also what is your take on the current state of the industry do you like where do you think it's heading do you like where it's heading are you excited about the future of the music industry yeah, that's like, I don't know, four questions wrapped in one. So have at it. <laughs> I'm good. So first and foremost, um, how things have changed since I've kind of started. So when I was very young, when I was like 18, I remember the first things we learned about were a new artist gets a development deal from a record label. Remember, this is like 2005 people. Okay, none of this exists mm-hmm. anymore. I'm just being clear about this. This is old school now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was a kid, it was shopping record deals through the labels. Then it went into development deals. Um, through the record labels. And then before COVID, it was really had shifted into development deals through the publishing companies, developing artists into major label record deals. Let me just cut you off real quick, because I want to point out in 2016, 11 years after you started your undergrad, I was taught the same thing, which is just ridiculous. But that's uh, that, that, that goes to support the point of education is just always going to be 10 years behind reality. Well, nobody, nobody really does development deals anymore. You know, it's yeah. very much what, what I'm doing these days, and I'm seeing this, is a lot of people don't develop. They don't create a sustainable career or a brand. They just, they write a song, they launch it, they cross their fingers, they go. And it goes viral. And then there's nothing to come after it. There's no follow-up. There's no support. There's no sustainability. There's no, um, you know, multifaceted look at an artist as a human being and how these things work. Um, you know, you, you put out a bop and that's it, the bop. That's a massive mistake. And so when I do these, and, and just to be clear, I personally believe that development is a very personal journey. I think that everyone's development is different. I think everyone's journey in development is different and everyone needs something different. And it's all about sitting down with them and learning who they are and figuring out where those gaps are for them. 
Um, and so when I do development, I spend a lot of time with the people and I get to know them as a person and I find out what, what are you into? What do you like listening to? What is connecting with you? How do you feel? You know, how do these things make you feel? What is your sonic inspiration? You know, all these different thought processes and things. Because really, all we need to do is give creatives confidence and love. And so really development is just a nurturing process of giving creative people confidence and giving them love. And that is genuinely all I do. Um, so when I'm developing someone, everyone's story is different. Sometimes it's sitting with someone, um, you know, in my house and listening to music. Sometimes it's talking with them about their life story. Sometimes it's uh, it's kind of feeling out like what they want from a career and who would mesh with them for those philosophies. Um, everyone's very different in that way. But when I launch something, and I just want to say it's when I launch something, um, you know, with with um, someone I'm working with. And when we launch a song, first of all, I never expect it to blow up. When they do, I always laugh my face off because I'm like, oh God, here we go again. And, and my quote <laughs> is always, oops. I always say, oops. When that happens, they go, oops, I really didn't mean to do that. But here we are. I guess we're gonna do another one. Um, so that's thing number one. But then, you know, the other thing I will say is when I do those, I don't usually like to launch unless I have a full project ready to go, whether it's an EP or an album, or at least a, a beginning of an EP or an album. Um, and then more than that, I like to be thoughtful about, you know, how we launch, when we launch, what the thought process is on the launch. Um, a lot of people have seen my clients, you know, where there's influencers who kind of, you know, feed off their viral songs. None of that's paid for because I would be the only one paying for it because I'm usually the only one with money. So, uh, I'll say I don't pay for it. It's all organic because if it wasn't, I'd, I'd say it. I would have said it a long time ago, too, because I don't like to okay. lie to people. Um, but it's very much like development wise. What people need to understand is where our young people are right now, our consumers of music. They are scared. They've been isolated for years. In some situations, they're trying to figure out where and how they get into the world and how they build a career. You know, I, I think about when COVID started, I was 33 and I thought about like, if I had been 10 years before that, I would have been in law school. I would have, I would have lost my mind. I would have freaked out. And so a lot of what I do is we, we try to figure out the path um, for people in a healthy way in that space. The other thing with development, I, I want to mention, um, you know, a lot of what I do is on TikTok. Let's talk about TikTok really quick. TikTok is nothing more than a tool in the toolbox. It is not the end all be all. These, these creatives who get stuck on TikTok, they are missing the point of the whole career. Um, you know, pre-COVID, it was very much like you had to go out and do the show grind for years and build out audiences. Mm -hmm. Now you can just go viral on TikTok. The difference though, is that you have to understand that going viral on TikTok is a one-shot thing. The second you do that, you have to think about diversifying your audience getting on the road and doing shows, which is what we did with uh, Knox when we went viral on sneakers. The band totally. Camino invited him out to play shows. And so the second full band show he did in his life was with Athens, in Athens, Georgia, opening for the band Camino. Um, unheard of, but we pulled it off. Totally. And so it's, I mean, we got lucky. Also, we had a talented guy and still is. Well, you know, and that's, I mean, the luck, the luck factor in all of this is, goes unspoken, but yes. Yeah. But um, but I say all that because, you know, I, I want to be clear, like pre-COVID, it was very much go out and grind, play shows until it, until it pops and just keep going. Now we can have a viral video and we can, and labels love those viral videos, oh, yeah. but there's no sustainability behind them. You know, the sustainability comes from a project and from building a fan base. And that is something that I really worked hard to do with my clients. Um, is we, you know, do we have an EP? Do we have an album? If we're going to do a major label deal from this viral song, how fast can we keep getting music out? How fast can we get you on the road? How fast can we have merch? How fast? And that's been a big part of keeping the trajectory going for these people. Totally. And those are the things that a brand new artist is never going to think about because they don't even know to think about it. That's right. And I, and I do a lot of that in those viral moments. People bring me in. Um, not only to negotiate the deals, because I love doing that when we have a big mm. moment, love doing those. But more than that, I get brought in to strategize through building out the team, 
um, to strategize through the release strategy. Um, for example, just as a note for everyone on here, if you have a song that goes viral, the day it goes viral, you need to release it within three weeks. I have done this so many times. I cannot, and, and let me be clear, this is not normal. Normally what, a, what an attorney would know or do, this is what I do in the artist development space. When I have a song that goes viral, I have to feed off the energy of it and we have to keep the momentum going. And so at that point, I always tell people, like, if you don't have your distro and your album art and all that stuff set up, you better get it done because you've got three weeks from day one of virality. That's it. That's all I give you. Because um, when people wait six months to release a song, it's dead. It yeah. always is dead. And I, I tell everyone that. I was also going to say the other thing just to share in terms of where this industry is going next. I think everyone is seeking the next TikTok right now. I don't necessarily think that's going to be it. Um, I think that it's just going to come upon us when the timing's right for the right thing, whatever trends with us. But I think what people are looking for, and if you look at the music that's really doing well right now, they're looking for honesty. They're looking for transparency. They're looking for an interpersonal connection with creatives, with other human beings who are telling their stories. And you know, we, we talk a lot in this industry about branding and, you know, you have to have your whole brand. At the end of the day, your brand just needs to be who you'd want to hang out with so that your fans and you are friends. Absolutely. It goes back to what I said before. Yeah, it's yeah. just that's all this is. And so it's just making friends on social media. That's all this is. And, it, and, it, and, I, and I try to make it sound very simple because it truly is that simple if you break it down into the core of where we are and what we do. Yeah. Absolutely. Hell yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the only thing I would, I'd want to add to that is I think what I've noticed lately with, with what people are liking more like on a stylistic side, less about like the story and the brand is I've seen so much of people bending and breaking genres and it's just going so well right now. Like the, the two people who come to mind are Royale Lynn, who's doing this like rock country crossover thing. You know, she's with me, right? Oh yeah. You introduced me to her. Okay, good. I wanted to make sure. I, yeah, <laughs> oh, I wanted her to get more rock. I wanted her to get more rock produced. That's the whole point. Totally. I try to yeah. get everyone in that space. Yeah, no, she's Absolutely. rocking that. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic. And then the other person that comes to mind, totally different thing, but is like scene queen who is doing i don't even know how to explain it she's like probably my favorite artist right now i fucking love scene queen oh i think she's great i'm a big i'm a big fan i i uh when when i formerly twitter now x i remember um you know i would see some of her uh her tweets or oh yeah what are they now now? like x's i don't know know. who knows Um, i don't even want to know but i remember she would like she like post things about you know fans and just people and stuff and I love her transparency. I love Absolutely. her honesty. One of her label people, because she's on Hopeless. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even. I don't work with her. I just am friends with people. I've sure. sent a few of my um, producers over to her team because I'm such a fan. Um, oh hell yeah! So yeah, we should chat about that. Um, we definitely but, um, should. I'm also buds with one of the people over there that I'm not going to name on this because I don't know if he could be cool with it. Um, yeah, you, you and I will talk separately. But yeah. I think it's very much a a place of like, yeah, we, you know, and, and the thing I love about the two artists you've mentioned, they're both female. And I Absolutely. love that they're both female because females in rock are not the norm. Um, you know, oh, I do a lot of work totally. in rock and I know, I know people always get tripped out when they, when they see a female attorney, much less one who's a, uh, you know, just going to come in, be no nonsense and tell it how it is. But I think the other thing is the the rock scene, we have so many young women who are expressing themselves in ways that prior generations didn't have the opportunity to do so. And I think that is even more critical to enhancing those voices and having those different voices be heard is that for women, you know, and this is, and this is something that women deal with at all ages, we still deal with you know, gender discrimination. We still deal with, I mean, I mean, I personally have experienced limited opportunities from being a female. And you know what? That just makes me fight harder. And I think that makes all of those women fight harder. Absolutely. But you shouldn't have to fight harder because of that. I just want to make sure that that is, that is said as the only man here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I understand <laughs> that you shouldn't have to do that. It's just the sad reality of 
what the world is right now. And I mean, I don't even want to say right now because there was never a time that it wasn't this. This is the best that it has been. And it still is terrible in that regard. So. Oh, it's awful. It's yeah. awful. I still get, I still get people mansplaining my job to me. And uh, it, and, and I'll be real with you. Every time it happens, um, I just, I just smile and nod because what, you know, I, I could get mad, angry or upset, or I could keep my cool, show them that their assumptions about women and about how we handle things are wrong. And that, um, and then I could be just as a uh, calm, if not more calm than any man. Totally. And that, uh, and that if anything, I can handle myself better than any man. So uh, that's, yeah. that's what I do. But yeah, it's, it's hard, man. It's really hard. And uh, it's, it's a challenge. And I tell young women all the time, my mom didn't work the way she did for her daughter to deal with this crap. And I am certainly not going to spend my life just to let other young women deal with what I deal with. If I can be even one bit of change in the system, if I can do one step of improvement for our, for our female colleagues, for our, you know, transgender, non-binary, um, gender queer colleagues, you know, all these different terminologies that I always want to be respectful of and, you know, backgrounds and identities I want to be respectful of. I think that is massively critical because we need, when we talk about representation, you know, obviously we're talking about racial representation, religious representation, but there's also a gender representation and there are, you know, gender identities that are really just being identified and talked about in the public eye. And so we need to get all of those stories out. We need to get all of those people in a place where they can talk and where we can help our young people see that there is a path for them. It may not be the one that, you know, that they thought it was going to be, but it might make them happier and more fulfilled and more centered in the long run. Absolutely. 100%. And honestly, especially talking to the like genderqueer subset of of people, I think there's actually a good amount. I mean, there could always be more, don't get me wrong. But if we're looking at, you know, people in that space, I think there's a pretty strong correlation between genderqueer, okay, artist or creative or performer in some way is I think pretty common. What I don't see almost I don't actually I I think I can confidently say I've never seen a genderqueer person in the professional industry or as like an on the audio side I think not on audio but in industry I have but even the fact that you had to think about that is an issue right like like it should just be like oh yeah I know five like of course and and look, there's so many things that go into that. This is also not a sociology podcast, um, but <laughs> um, but like, and you know, for all we know, we do know ten people. They're just not out, and that's totally fine. Their their speed, their time. I don't really know where I was going with this, other than <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, I think it's all about representation. At the end yeah. of the day, it's all yeah. about representing different voices and giving amplification to those voices and giving a platform to those voices and understanding that, you know, I'll just put it this way. Not every, uh, you know, not every female in the industry is going to want to show her booty. And, uh, you know, we're, we need to respect people's stories. We need to respect people's identities. We need to respect who they are and how they want to present themselves. And it's not all about booty shaking, booty popping and going to the club, which when I was growing up, that's what I felt it was all about. But as I've gotten older, I've wanted to represent those different stories and voices because I think that the impact they have on our young people, and and I say this because music, especially when you're young and you're developing, is that's one of the most pivotal pivotal times for music in your life. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important to me to have that representation because sometimes it can be the difference between a young person um, coming to terms with who they are and being their true self and being their best self and, and not. And that's why I think music is such an important piece of how we express ourselves in this world and in this life. Absolutely. Well, I think we'll leave those wise words as as the last thing that is uh, that is said here. Thank you so much, Rachel. I hope that anyone who is listening had their notepad out because goddamn, there was a lot of there was a lot of wisdom spilled. But yeah, I mean, as always, you're just the best. I love you, and oh, I can't I wait to hang you. out with thank- you tomorrow. <laughs> I was going to say, we're going to have so much fun and, uh, and yeah. thank you for having me and, uh, and, and thank you for always just being a, a colleague and friend who is open to all the conversations and is open to learning because 
you know, this business, every day I learn something new. You know, I'm not perfect. I mess up things all the time. And every day I learn something new. And the people I love to work with in this industry are people who love to learn, such as yourself. And I feel that and I see that. And I just want to acknowledge that here. Oh, well, thank you. I'm uh if I thought that I knew everything at 25, I would in fact know nothing. Uh, so I appreciate you pointing that out. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget, and we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.